is Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 240 of Dogcast Radio. All our podcasts can be found at dogcastradio.com and if there's something about dogs we haven't covered yet that you're desperate to know more about, let me know and I'll find an expert to ask about it. We brought you the amazing story of Charlie the Shih Tzu, who was rescued from drowning in a lake. But there have been developments in the story. Somehow, I think it was just meant to be that Charlie was in the water and that from that, I was able to build a really good friendship with Sheila. And, um, you know, we've now got our heads together to do something for charity, which is amazing. More on that heartwarming story later. But first... Pupils and students have had their learning disrupted as they've had to adapt to the pandemic. Researchers have been studying whether there are long-term lessons we can learn about pets and pupils. So I'm here today with Kay O'Donnell, who's the Vice President of Waltham Pet Care Science Institute. Hi, Kay. Hello there. Hi. And also we've got Mary Margaret Callahan, who's the Chief Mission Officer of the leading therapy animal organisation Pet Partners. So hi, Mary. Hello. Hi, and we're going to talk about some fascinating research that's been done by Mars Pet Care about pets and animals and their their effect on school, the school experience, which has been turned upside down during the pandemic. Tell me a bit about this research into, into the schooling experience. This research was really a bit of a pulse check uh, for us to see how parents were feeling around how their children were coping with lockdown and homeschooling, and to see if actually pets were having impact on that. Um, at Waltham, we've done a lot of research around the benefits of children interacting with pets, and, and we see a number of different benefits. But also, we were reading, because of lockdown, lots of concern from large organisations like, say, the Children, World Health Organisation, around how children lockdown was causing children to feel much more anxious, much more worried about their future and, and so it just seemed a good time to do a real sense check. Yeah. So thanks. the research involved asking a thousand parents in the US and the UK a range of different questions around how their children were handling lockdown, how they and their perception. I mean, this was just really around what the parents thought um, and whether uh, the presence of a pet had an impact or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can. Um... I can remember because I, I, I've taught uh, and I've been a, a parent at a school and we've done um, homeschool and then I've gone back and done some other work with um, parents as a, as a sort of supply teacher. And um, so I've done, you know, had quite a lot of experience, but the homeschooling experience has been very different. And, and actually what people have been doing really hasn't been the magnificence that is homeschooling because you couldn't do the visits and, and all the, the the whole experience of home and home education really so having said it was an unfamiliar experience for most children and parents um and and there was a lot of um stress around the whole thing anyway with the background situation how has having a pet around sort of affect, affected the learning going on do you think Well, in terms of this particular market survey that was done, the general perception of the majority of parents, about 70% of parents, said that they felt the presence of a pet had a number of positive factors on learning. So number one, their children were more motivated when pets Hmm. were around. They had much better focus when pets were around. And they had much more energy because, I guess, pets, you can play with them periodically in break times. 
And also it, it encouraged social interactions with teachers and, and other school children around what the pet was up to and, and this sort of thing. So lots of different ways where interaction with a, a pet had a positive benefit and therefore a positive benefit on learning outcomes as well. If you're more motivated, more focused, then potentially the learning outcomes are better. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and the instinctively, you kind of think, well, having an animal around, that would be quite distracting. But actually, it sort of manages to deflect the attention back onto the work. And also that little break, particularly in the classroom situation, children get a break naturally because, you know, somebody over there does something and the teacher's attention goes over there and somebody over there. So you get these natural lulls in the classroom that you don't sort of get in that homeschooling environment. So sometimes a pet being there gives you that natural break, doesn't it? Okay, so... What about in 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 terms of sort of the 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 mood of the child and the, and the parent? What what's the perception of that? The the emotional side. Well, if I kick off, then Mary Margaret, I'm, I'm going to hand over to you because okay. uh, you know this is really your your area of expertise. I mean, one of the things we've seen from the 15 years of research we've done at Waltham around the benefits of pets interacting with children is one of the key areas that we see a real benefit is reduction in anxiety and stress um, and and a more engagement in social skills and, and, and play. This has been reinforced. It's really good. You know, we do a lot of scientific research at Waltham, but it's really good to see that the research findings that we've had over the years are reinforced by this study, where parents' perceptions are seeing exactly what we found in, in research studies. I'm going to hand over to Mary Margaret now, because I know that, that you spend a lot of time in this area, too. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right, Kay. And I think what's so rewarding as we look at these recent uh, market research results that, that Mars Waltham has done is that they really truly do echo all the research and data that we have in more formalized settings, right? So we know that research indicates that we see increased perceptions of social support. Um, we see decreased levels of general anxiety, of symptoms of depression, um, that there's a lot of emotional comfort that goes along to the presence of having an animal or a therapy animal visiting in more institutional settings, whether that's an animal coming in and visiting a traditional classroom, whether it's, um, you know, adults in assisted living, whether it's people getting visits in hospitals. And what's so phenomenal, I think, in this period of time where everything has been upside down and just absolutely crazy, is that what we're seeing is those same benefits are being reflected in the home with people's own pets. And I don't think we'd ever had an opportunity to really look at that because what an unusual time it had to be for us to to really explore what that looks like. So there's always been interesting correlations around the presence of animals and people's emotional, social, and physical well-being. And we're seeing that extrapolate to the home setting as well with the unusual stress of lockdown during a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And my goodness, our animals have really helped us cope with that. We've seen how dogs have just the, the price has gone through the roof and rescue dogs, you know, have been just adopted, you know, by the hundreds and which has been lovely. And let's hope they stay in their new homes. But I mean, you're absolutely right. And I can remember we did homeschooling with with Jenny and um, she when she was doing her, her some exams and doing maths, 
it was incredibly stressful. And you know that feeling of, I can't learn this. And I, you know, and she would get stressed. We would get stressful. And I can actually remember her sitting with a book and crying. It was a maths book and crying. And the cat came and got on the, on the book and kind of was like, no, he, he can't bear anybody crying anyway, Storm can't. So he kind of came and sat with her and she'd have a, a cat on the book and a, the dog on her feet. And, and it really did help with that, that sort of, I can't carry on with this feeling. So, I mean, they are a great comfort. And it's lovely that this research has backed that up. So how how do you think that educators, teachers and, and whatever educational establishment we're talking about, how can they use what this research has has backed up, has shown and has revealed to make the classroom a more productive and, and happy environment? Well, I have a background as a classroom teacher. I taught for almost 10 years, and I know you have experience as a classroom teacher as well. I escaped Um, as well. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the, the wonderful thing about this is that there is no exactly one way to do this and do this well. There are all sorts of options in terms of how you want to thoughtfully incorporate animals into a classroom setting. That could be a classroom pet. When I was a teacher, I had goldfish. Uh, I had other animals. When uh, we also, you know, you might have the opportunity to invite an animal in. Maybe you're having coursework about um, bullying or empathy or things like that. There's wonderful opportunities to incorporate animals in that where the animal doesn't necessarily have to live in your classroom. I think we can all acknowledge as, as pet lovers that, there's a huge commitment to having a pet. And so if a classroom pet isn't necessarily right, there are lots of options where you could still find ways to incorporate animals uh, into what you're doing in a thoughtful way. Um, And if there's not just one right way to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important because I mean, I went, as you say, I, I used to teach and I always liked having, because I like animals, I liked having animals in the classroom. And, and I used to work a lot in nurseries. So I had other colleagues around and I would sort of say, oh, can we have a rabbit or can we have, um, I used to have gerbils or a hamster, you know. And so I was keeping it fairly modest. And I did run into opposition and sort of the other people sort of maybe they didn't like the animals or particularly small mammals um, or they thought it was going to be too much trouble. I mean, I always took the animals home during the holidays anyway. Um and I think maybe that's that's important that even for for the staff who maybe aren't so much into animals, this is going to have such a beneficial effect. It's it's worth doing. And if they really can't face the commitment of having an, a, a pet in the classroom, which I understand, there are ways around it, aren't there? So we really can put this to good use in, in our classrooms. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, I think you're absolutely right. To me, it seems like it's fairly low hanging fruit. You know, as our children go back into school um, and, and then if we accept that certainly a proportion of them may have been somewhat negatively impacted by lockdown, then, you know, there is a, a real drive to support the mental health of, of all children. And the good thing, as Mary Margaret said, is, is that you don't necessarily have to own a pet. What we're talking yes. about is simply interaction with a pet for actually often quite minimal periods of time to get a real benefit. That doesn't have to be a dog. As you said, it could be a hamster. We had hamsters when I was at school. Yes. And we used to fight to take them home and look after them in the holidays. But but I think, you know, there are things that we can do. And also, you know, it allows a safe introduction of pets in, into an environment because although children, uh, you know, naturally react really 
respond very positively to pets. Important that they do it safely and they're taught yes. to understand how to do that safely as well. So, you know, as I say, and, and actually one of the questions that was asked in the survey was around whether parents would support uh, schools involving pets in the classroom more. And, and over 75% of parents said they would. So yeah. they've seen the benefit and they were now wanting to see the benefit in schools as well. So I think there's there's general support. And as I say, in terms of the potential cost of supporting mental health of children, introducing schools into uh, pets into the classroom seems like fairly low hanging fruit, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and as you say, now that I think this has opened a lot of parents' eyes to what actually goes on in schools, because I know so many children go home and you sort of say, what have you done today? Oh, nothing. And it's but suddenly they've had this big, big insight into, I think, one, how hard it is. <laughs> And, you know, to what actually what actually that work consists of. And I do think that there's so much that animals can do, as you say, to settle children back in and to settle staff back in, I think, as well. But, you know, I can imagine this sort of reducing and diffusing bullying. Um, but also I can imagine this. I'm getting quite, quite inspired to get back in the classroom now. It's not going to happen, but, <laughs> but to write the, 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 the um, curriculum anyway. I can imagine this kind of inspiring work across a range of, of subjects, can't you? I do think that when we think about animals, there's such a rich opportunity for multidisciplinary learning and project-based learning. There's, you know, biology, uh, you know, and, and sort of physiology and, and those pieces. But there's also these really important concepts uh, around animal welfare and well-being yes. and sort of some of that important social-emotional learning that we really you know, we rely on our schools to help teach our children. Um, and so I do think that there's just this wide, wide opportunity. And whether you're teaching something specific, like a lesson on something, or you're just inviting an animal in to help reduce stress and promote sort of morale, um, there's still benefits both ways. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I would, I would just add one thing. The, the, the other interesting thing that, that, again, we observe in some of the more controlled research that we do, but we also saw in this study is that not only is there benefit for the parents and the children, there's a benefit for the pet. Because hmm. certainly during lockdown, children spent more time with their pets. And, and many, most of the parents reported that they felt this was the reason that their pet was calmer and, and happier because they were around people more and they, I guess they're getting more attention really, which is often what, what pets want. So, yeah. you know, win-wins on, on, on all fronts really, which is kind of the sorts of solutions that we really want, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the pets have had more company, obviously, and more enrichment and more things going on and just more to look at what, you know, what are you doing? Um, and I think obviously, yes, that does make them happy. And, and that's so, as you say, win-win. I think it's important when we think about this, that, Obviously, yes, there are many, many benefits for the students and, and all the people involved with, with having pets in the classroom, whether that's, as you say, on a permanent or on a visiting basis. What about the animals involved? What issues are there there so we make sure they are happy, you know, they are secure, they're feeling okay? Well, I'll start by saying that, I mean, I think what we're talking about here and what we're recognizing is that there is this sort of inherent idea of the human animal bond, right? That, yeah. that, and, and that is meant to be mutually beneficial. So to your point, animals should be benefiting from these interactions to the, to a similar level that, that we humans 
get to. And yeah. so, you know, when we think about particularly in classroom settings or with children, um, you know, teaching children how to interact with animals in a respectful and safe way, and also being thoughtful about the fact that, you know, animals are sentient beings that have the opportunity to make choices for themselves and express preferences. And that's something that we as adults, whether we're teachers in the classrooms or parents at home with pets, we're in a position to make sure that we're able to sort of supervise that. And there really isn't any good substitute, I don't think, for really being thoughtful about paying attention to your animal's body language, making sure their needs are met. And that's what diffuses potential risk in most of these situations. So whether you're a teacher and you're thoughtful about making sure your animal has an opportunity to take breaks and have time away from children, or you're a parent um, and you're doing that at home as well, that's what's really, I think, makes this a positive experience for animals as well as people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think particularly in in the UK, education has become so sort of um, with the national curriculum, which is a a force of good in many ways. But it's it's also made things become quite high, high pressure. And it's sort of about ticking boxes and finding evidence for things. And it's very stressful for staff. And I think that feeds through to some children. And this is a great opportunity, as you say, to, to bring maybe some spontaneity back in and sort of we're going to observe the animal and we're going to maybe draw the animal. Or, we, you know, there's so many things that, as you say, that, that, that animal behaves, they, they have choices and opinions and, and preferences of their own. And it can just bring a little bit more relaxed happiness back into the classroom, can't it? I, th- I think it definitely can. And, and you know, one of, one of the areas that always... Um, makes me smile when I think about it is some of the research that was done around how children like to read to dogs yes. and, and actually um, because it's non-judgmental uh, they pay attention they look interested most of the time yeah and and, and areas like that you know where um, this uh, companion uh, that is another war- warm furry being beside you um, that children really connect with not yes. just dogs, but, but cats and hamsters as well. And, and it promotes this sense of responsibility and empathy and caring. And, and the net effect of that is de-stressing and anxiety reduction. And, and as well as a potential learning tool in the, quest, in the classroom on, on all sorts of different levels. Um, so I, I think they have a lot to give. And, and as, as we talked about, I think it's very important that we provide a safe environment to do that. But also we give children who don't have the benefit of having a pet at home the option to have this interaction as well and benefit. Yeah, definitely, definitely, absolutely. I'm just having a look at, at some of the actual um, statistics. And it, it is quite overwhelming isn't it? because 83% of parents believe a pet helped their child feel less lonely and 73% felt their pet reduced stress caused by isolation away from classmates. So they, they've been a real lifesaver during during the lockdown and it's um nine in ten parents reveal their pet has positively impacted their child's homeschooling experience this isn't just you know a few of them this is overwhelmingly the majority isn't it 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 was and and you saw this across a whole suite of things you know like 76% of people said that they felt their pet uh, encouraged their children to spend time away from the screen which they felt was important in the context of lockdown um, 72% felt that a child was more motivated. I mean, as I say, these weren't marginal, you know, 
a, a small majority felt this or felt that. You know, th- yeah. this was a, a fairly overwhelming endorsement uh, yeah. of improvement of social skills, improvement of reduction of, of anxiety, um, and and building fun and and playtime into the homeschooling um, uh, environment. Um, yeah. So, as I say, as a scientist, it's kind of always reassuring when some yes. of the things that you find in studies are reflected in real life and and when real people not that we don't involve real people in our studies but <laughs> but when when parents come back and say yeah yeah I noticed that actually yeah I did notice that in what I accept is a somewhat unusual situation of, of lockdown yeah um, but yeah but interesting anyway and reassuring anyway Oh, definitely, definitely. So I, I, I love it from the other way around. I love it when something that I suspect is true about the, the animals in my life and, and scientists come along and say, yes, actually, we've got proof of that. And you go, yes, I knew it. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah. I love you. It's science. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's been fascinating to read the research and to, and to talk to you both. It's really interesting. And I do, I do hope that this has, this is, you know, the findings are implemented and that we do help our, our well, I was going to say young children, but young people, but anybody who's learning, because, you know, it's, it's lifelong learning as well that's affected by this. I, it is. And, and you know, the, the studies that we've done have looked at young children, uh, mainstream children in mainstream education, children with special educational needs, college students in all environments and adults. And, and actually, even in the adult population, uh, reductions in feelings of isolation and loneliness when there is a pet present are also um, significantly improved. And, yeah. and so throughout all life stages and in many, many different contexts, that the, the benefits of, of pets are actually fairly similar. Reduction of stress and anxiety, or can be fairly similar, reduction of stress and anxiety, reductions of feeling of isolation and loneliness, increased motivation to get up and do things, and, and also increasing physical activity and things like that, because you need if it's a dog, you need to take it for a walk. Um, and, and so lots of benefits on lots of different levels. Um, so, you know, I think it's important as we come to the end, hopefully, of lockdown, that we kind of reflect on the learnings and kind of say, so, so what does that mean? You know, what, what, what should maybe be different now or what could we try? And, yes. and it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Yeah, in many ways, absolutely, because life's been turned on its head. And and I really hesitate to say, let's find some positives in it, because it's been a, an awful time and, and life has changed irrevocably for many, many people. And, and so there's been a huge amount of nev- negatives. But as you say, what can we take forward and what can we learn and, and how can we make things better in, in future? Definitely is, is something that, you know, hopefully we, we can take away from this. Um, and I just I try, just try to think, what are the... There aren't any people or any objects or anything that you could say, just put this in the classroom and it will make things better just by being there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there aren't other. Yeah, no, no. So, okay. Where can, find, where, where can people find out more about this subject online? Well, one of the places they can find out uh, is if they go to a website called wolfen.com. Um, and also the Mars Pet Care website also contains uh, information a, a, about the survey as well. Uh, Welcome.com contains all, a lot of the research that's been done in, in the field of human-animal interaction, as we call it, in, in, in our area. Yeah, great. I can just imagine lots of teachers going there and going, I do want uh, whatever it is in the classroom. And here's the research behind it. <laughs> this backs me up. <laughs> yeah, And I would yeah. say 
you know, anyone who's interested in particular in therapy animals, having therapy animals, visit classrooms, understanding those best practices, uh, whether you're a teacher or a parent, certainly uh, encourage you to visit petpartners.org. We've got lots of great free resources. Um, and perhaps you've recently adopted a pet during the pandemic and you're interested in becoming a therapy animal handler and visiting some of these schools and locations where your animal can benefit um, others. That would be a, a great opportunity to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, my, um, my dog, my black Labrador buddy was an education dog for the Blue Cross. And so we would visit schools and, and, and pony clubs and whatever, you know, to, to, as you say, to get youngsters thinking about the, the rights, if you like, of the animal, you know, what, mm-hmm. so um, one of the big discussions was sort of about rabbits that, to me, so many rabbits are sort of in a hutch at the end of the garden, and they don't get that you know mental or physical stimulation that they need so that was really really enjoyable so it's great from from the owner's point of view to go in and and take them and it's enrichment for the for the dog for the right dog you know I mean buddy Mm -hmm. loved it but that's a really good point to make because there are people that will visit your classroom and be really happy to do so and bring a lovely safe animal with them and there's just no responsibility for the for the 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 educational uh professional involved it's just a visit and then they go away and everybody's benefited and so it's really important to say that actually isn't it Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as a as a pet parent, it's a wonderful activity for you to give back to your community and a great opportunity for you to spend some quality time with your beloved pet. Thanks to Mary, Margaret and Kay for exploring the subject of pets and learning with me. All the links mentioned can be found on dogcastradio.com. Our pets enrich our lives hugely, so why not our classrooms too? If your dog has played a part in a classroom setting or helped you or your children with studying, I'd love to hear about it. I had great fun with Buddy going into classrooms and talking to youngsters about animals and their needs and feelings and trying to raise awareness of pets as sentient beings rather than belongings. Everything I know, I learned from dogs. Nora Roberts And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News, kind of, because we're not going to do a full Dogcast Radio News. We're just going to discuss one article. Forgot the word for article there, but one article from the news, because we can talk for ages, as you know by now. So we're just, we're going to limit to one article from the news and talk about that. So the article we're going to talk about is one that I thought looked really interesting. Obviously, that's a good choice. You don't, I didn't go for one that was boring. <laughs> you can really tell when you don't write a script. Yeah, you? when I go on script and just, and just blah, it comes out. <laughs> Should we start again? <laughs> okay. Um, let us know, by the way, do you, do you prefer a scripted or not? Or do you like a variety? Because I, I don't know. So the article that caught my eye was that cats see their humans as parents, maybe even more so than dogs according to a study. Now, you know we like our research here at Dogcast Radio. And I thought it was really interesting because, I must admit, I think of our dogs... (laughs) We have a different zone. But I think of our dogs as, I suppose, more reliant on us and more loving than the cats. Loving! Okay, well, how how do you see our I see them as expressing their love and affection in different ways, Mm. but equally as loving and dependent and wanting your attention and fuss and 
love. I, I think they're very equal in that. I think that we just... Humans aren't very good at recognising cats' behaviour mm. and interpreting it in the correct way. So, like, you know, I think with a dog... Maybe it's different with different breeds, but on the whole, you can tell if a dog likes you because they, yeah. they kind of they they walk up to you and they wag the tail and they put their head on your lap and they're like hello, I love you like that. Whereas cats, one of the things they do is they mirror a lot. So like they'll <laughs> if you, if you're working on like a laptop and they keep wanting to stand on the laptop and you're like oh did they want it because it's warm? No, they want it because you're it's obviously something that's important to you. So they're like I want to do this with you. So if you get like an old laptop. <laughs> set it up next to you, they will lie on the laptop because they're doing what you're doing. So obviously that's going to bond, you know, Mm. you're going to bond with them. So there's so much behaviour that I think if we looked at why they're doing it, we'd be like, oh, they they love us. You know, to me, our cats and our dogs, they love me the same and they want that connection with you. Mm. You just, I think you bond with them in different ways. Like you do with people, you know. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Like, some people really like hugs and you, you hug them and then some people prefer, like, to talk or, you know, there's, like, love languages. I think we just need to be better at recognising our pets' love mm. languages. And and as you were saying that, I was thinking, even within our three cats, yes, there are different levels of, you know, stressed or relaxed or how much how easy going they are or how you know you know there's one that you go i am not looking forward to taking this one to the vet because (laughs) (laughs) you know they are more likely to to injure me or you know there's one that's a kind of a bit like oh not the vet again all right then and and they they do have their own yeah like um one of our cats he loves to sit on my lap and he will just as soon as i sit down he will bump his head against Mm. my forehead and be like you're not getting up. But then another one of our cats is very much like she loves everyone equally, whether you're a dog, whether you're a cat, mm. whether you're a person. But when you started working yeah. out of the house more, she stopped grooming herself. She was a bit stressed. She's very sensitive. So even though she doesn't show it yeah. necessarily in a way that we would, she doesn't wag her tail and come up, you know, yes. but she was very clearly saying, I don't like it I when you're help. gone. I mm. need you to come, you yeah. know, to, cause every time you came home, she'd be on your lap straight yeah, away. And she was just like, I, I, you know, yeah. so I think we just need to read into their behavior a bit more. Cause with cats, especially, I don't know what it is, but with cats, we're very quick to write off their behavior as a, it's just what cats mm, do yeah. you know like they if they bite or they scratch or they don't come up to you or they they like poo on the floor or bring in a mouse or something we're very quick to just go oh, that's what cats are yeah. like isn't cats, it you can't do anything yeah. about it can't you can't it's like yeah. oh we'll take it to a behaviorist we'll take it to a trainer yeah. we'll, we'll look up a cat is just like well yeah what do you expect yeah, you're right and it's right. it's I was thinking, I mean, I put it into different words for me because I'm not as learned as yourself. <laughs> but is it is it that, is it as simple as dogs are obvious? They make the, you know, the, as you say, they're in your face, they love you, they're licking you, they're wagging their tail, they're enthusiastic there. Whereas a cat's kind of a little bit more laid back. Often they don't do that kind of, they just have a different style, don't they? They're not yeah. as in your face. They they will come and jump on your lap if you set, settle down, but it's not sort of that obvious and I wonder, is it because it, they are, we find them harder to read? Is it that we haven't been together as, as species mm. for as long? Is it that cats are usually smaller than dogs? Yeah. I, well, I there just... is this theory, there are theories that cats aren't actually truly domesticated. Hmm. Because, like with dogs, they're very clearly domesticated. They depend on us. I think it's a lot more difficult for a dog to be like a wild, you know, mm-hmm. a stray. 
Yeah. Whereas you see a cat and you don't immediately go, oh my goodness, who's, who's its owner? Where is it? You know, yeah. they can live their lives, you know. Mm. And I think something like 80% of cats choose their own mates. Wow. And, and things like that that make them a bit less dependent on us and more oh. wild. So it's kind of like, are they tame or are they truly domesticated? And, you know, so there's a lot of debate around that. And I think that's maybe part of the, yeah. the, the problem, well, not problem, but the, the reasoning. Yeah. You see, in, re- in preparation, yes, I do some preparation, <laughs> <laughs> but in preparation for this, I was looking at, because I, I always thought, and I don't know where I got this one, but I thought we domesticated, not us personally, but humans as a species, <laughs> domesticated dogs first, and then horses, and then cats. And so my little story in my head was always that, dogs are our, were our first love, if you like, and then horses came along. We were like, yeah, yeah, horses come. And then it was like, oh, cats. And that was my in my sort of just-so version, was was that's why cats are kind of a little bit aloof and a bit like, oh, we're just third thought, are we? We're just, you know. <laughs> and and But I have done extensive research, Jen, and I did actually do two or three Google searches <gasps> on this. You didn't go to the second page of Google, did I you? Did, the I did. The dark web. <laughs> That's like master's level, isn't yeah. it? That's not just degree level. That's <laughs> but I did, but I, I'm, I think I'm wrong because I think actually, and should we have an expert listening to this who can put it straight? But I think actually it was, dogs were about mm, more than 11,000 years ago. I think it was between thir- 15 and 30,000. It was a long time ago. And then it was horses about 7,000 years ago and then cats about 6,000 years ago. I think. All I know is that reindeer was one of if not the first species to be domesticated. And it's definitely the only species of deer that's domesticated. That has no relevance <laughs> at all, but I like talking about reindeer, no. so... And yet we don't have them in our lounges. Not for lack of trying, I would like to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I think we should we should mention, let's ground ourselves again in the science and the research and say that how they did the research, and this research has apparently been done with babies, human babies, and, <laughs> and puppies... But now they did it with kittens and they did it with cats because we were talking about this. Is it that kittens see us differently from how cats see yeah, us? Yeah, because I've heard that ki- cats see us as less like competent cats and that's why they they half kill things and bring yeah. them so we can practice and stuff like that. <laughs> so but, we stand a chance. Yeah. How they did the research was they had the human, the owner, and the cat, kitten, kitten or cat, in a room, in a new room, a novel room for two minutes then the person went away for two minutes and then came back for two minutes and it was the cat's reaction like the um, level of stress yes yeah they divided the reaction of the animal into secure ambivalent avoidant and disorganized reaction and 64 percent of the kittens were showed a secure attachment style so they displayed a reduced stress response when the person came back and 30 percent had this insecure attachment style, which meant they didn't show a reduced uh, level of stress when the person came back. Interestingly, that's higher than dogs. Only 58% of dogs demonstrated the secure attachment and 42% were categorised as insecure. So this is where the do cats see us as a parent figure more than dogs. And that's that's quite sad, actually, because if we're under the impression that they don't rely on us or love us or Mm. however you express it as much as dogs, and yet when you actually stop and look at their body language and read it properly, they are. That's I, I think cats are treated so unfairly and it makes mm. me so like sad and 
angry and whenever anyone says something bad about cats I'm like no <laughs> you are yeah <laughs> they're just they're so they this is okay right this mm. is something that I I oh. feel very strongly okay. about right okay cats need to give consent okay this is the theory I have hmm you know when you kind of you you see a dog and you go you ask the owner can I stroke them yeah and then you let them sniff your hand and then you you yeah. know you stroke them and then I think because dogs are maybe perceived as a bit bigger and dangerous and you mm. kind of, if they don't want to be fussed you kind of go oh, okay a cat you stroke them you don't let them sniff your hand that's not really a thing that's done you stroke them maybe not in a place that they want because apparently the best place to stroke a cat is like their chin or or their mm. like face like the side of their face yeah yeah so you stroke them in a way that may not want to be stroked sometimes you you do like a long stroke and touch their tail they don't may not want mm. that and the cat can bat, bat at you and you're like oh it's playing oh it's playing mm. cats i to me cats can give consent because what i do when i see a cat is i call them to me and i let them sniff me and i kind of stroke their face and they kind of you can tell when yeah. cats want to be stroked because they they rub against you and they're like oh yeah yeah i love you like that and and to me, and if a cat kind of does a, a like bats at you and then you, I go, okay, and that I walk was away. Mm. And sometimes they're like, oh, okay. And then they kind of come back to you and they're like, okay, if you're not going to force me to, I'll, mm. I'll come back to you. But like, we, we're bad at reading their language and kind of give, letting, allowing them to give consent or not give consent mm. when they want to. And I think that's, that's something I feel so strongly about. That is really interesting, actually, because I don't know why you didn't say that to me earlier. You told me a lot of rubbish. <laughs> really interesting that you never told me <laughs> you don't want to know about reindeer what <laughs> but that's really interesting because how many dog bites happen yep. and it's in quotes out of the blue it's not out of the blue the dog was giving you lots and lots of signals yep. that you didn't read how many cat scratches or whatever yep. happened because you didn't read? I mean, one, didn't read. Yep. I'm, I've been scratching and been, you know, and, and I know I can't read cats as well as, as I, I think I can dogs. And so I don't know, you know, I think we're going along nice. Everything's great. We're happy. And then suddenly the cat's like, wow. And I'm like, I did, huh, where did that come from? Well, there's, there's also this thing of cats get like over. Um, like stimulated mm. so you can be stroking them and they, they get so hyped up and they purr and then they have to let the tension out so they bite you and like dad <laughs> one of our cats does this a lot and he'll stroke her and then she'll bite him and he's like I was being nice why would she do that and I'm like no it's because you were stroking her really well and she's like oh it's too Aww. much and then he she, she yeah. bit him but that's, she... that's because he's Mr. Dog cast not Mr. Cat cast <laughs> But, but um, yeah, I think if we all kind of looked at, you know, pets, things that, you know, can't talk mm. and give us that yes or no. But if we look at their body language and allow them an opportunity to give consent or not give consent, I think with babies as well, you can, there's this thing of asking if they want to yeah. be picked up if you're a stranger, if you're not, you know, and there's, there's so many instances with, with pets and, and babies and, you know, that if you just, give them the opportunity to give consent or not give consent yeah. and then respect their choices that I think it would be so much better for the pet but for yeah. you because you're gonna not get bitten or they're gonna yeah. relax right you know there's just it's strangely we've done this with our small dogs and this yeah. is something I'm passionate about with small dogs that you don't just go oh scoop and yes. that's and so when we had Star our first small dog and we we'd got Buddy who who was too big to sort of scoop <laughs> so you had to sort of persuade him to do what you wanted him to do and we tried to do the same approach with, with Star. And we did start to fall into that. Oh, I'll just scoop her up. And then you think, well, hang on, hang on. I can't scoop Buddy up. So let's ask her to do the same as we did with Buddy. And we did. 
and with Mischief Now. So we don't, I mean, in an emergency, yes, yeah. we do scoop her up. But no, the, you know, 99 times out of 100, if we're going to pick her up, we will say, I'm going to pick you up. Is that okay? And then she can position herself. She turns her back yes. and backs up to you and, and sort of like, yes, you can pick me up. Or she walks away a bit and goes, no, 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 I don't want to be picked up just Because now. sometimes she, sometimes it's something where you go, I need to pick you yeah. up for whatever. And she'll kind of not want to be picked up and you go, no, no. I, I need to pick you up mm. and she'll go okay oh, then. Yeah, yeah like but you can tell she doesn't want to but sometimes you just go do you want to be picked up because sometimes she just wants to cuddle or she wants to see what's going on on the surface she can't see and she's like if there's a parcel she just wants to see what's there yes. so you kind of go do you want to be picked up and then she'll be like I do or she'll go no I don't want yeah. that I want something else and you can just see so clearly that she yeah. like she, you can communicate and she, she knows Absolutely, how to yeah. do that is just yeah. and then it leads to a dog that isn't at all hand shy because yes. at least they will be told when they're going to be picked yes. up if not asked well, you know there's this um, there was ex- this experiment with rats um, which was a horrible <laughs> experiment yeah. but they shocked rats and, and looked at their cortisol levels yeah. which is like the, the stress, stress hormone yeah, yeah. and when they were shocked with no warning mm. they had a stress response when they were shocked but they were told they were going to be shocked mm. the stress hormone was less because they had like a chance to prepare for yeah. it if they were then given an opportunity to stop the shock happening like by pressing a button yeah so there, there are two rats and one rat can press a button and stop both of them being shocked yeah. the one that has access to the button has a lower amount of stress because they have an element of control yeah so they they can feel like they can do something about it. Yeah. And even though the other rat is probably not going to get shocked because the other one press button, it doesn't have that element of control. Yeah. So it's more stressed. So I think l- allowing animals a choice and a, a signal to go, okay, look, this is, this is what's going to yeah. happen or something like that yeah. is, is so useful. I, I'm just thinking, trying to relate that to human behavior. <laughs> and you know, when people say, yeah, I'm a good driver, but I'm a bad passenger. Yes. Because you don't, you know, and I can, I, that's me. <laughs> um, I am a good driver. But, but when, when you put me in the passenger seat and you're in control, in control, or, or Mr. Darkest is in I control. I am a very good you driver. You are a very good driver. I, I... You are, you resent that. But, it, but I'm not in control at that point. Yeah. And you're in control and I can't and know. And no matter how many times yep. you slam your foot into the floor, <laughs> there's no break there. <laughs> no, annoyingly. I might get one put in. Dual control car. So I would, you know, relate that to that, but yeah, yeah. A lot of things, I think, seem like common sense, I guess, mm. when you apply what you feel. I don't mean like a Not in a fluffy way, but yeah. But like that, that kind of, uh, those kind of things where you go, well, of course, you know, and then mm. you read a study and you go, I could have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> I could have got the money yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. so I think that's, um, it's, we, we, we've turned it into a bit like cat cast and, and rat cast. And Reindeers. <laughs> yes. But it, we did, we did, um, ground it into dog knowledge. But I think, I think that's quite interesting. So if you have dogs and cats, we'd love to hear from you and what you think about that and how you read them and how you relate to your dogs and cats. <laughs> What's the question you ask people to see if you like them? The first question you ask. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, yeah. And do I say you're a dog or a cat person? And you go, if they, if they say neither, Oh, they're out. Yeah. They're out. If they say cat, okay, but you're keeping an eye on them. And if yeah. it's dog, they're you're okay. In. And yeah. I resent that so much. <laughs> Sorry. I did. I asked my um, my niece and her boyfriend for the first time. And I said, <laughs> I just asked, yes, I just had, need to ask you one question. Are you a dog or cat person? <laughs> and actually, that, that boyfriend was a dog the, uh, person, so that was okay. 
I hope she's not listening to this. That one was an odd person. That one, that one was an odd person. <laughs> but uh, that one has gone off into the mists of time. No one will believe me when I say I'm a dog and cat person. They go, no, oh. you can't. I'm like, you just don't know enough about them, okay? I will. <laughs> that could be your, your crusade. I will rant at you for an hour and then you will understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, on that point, we don't have an hour. No. So I think we've talked for... Uh, Oh my goodness, quite quite long enough about one. You see, this is where we gave ourselves one story to be contained, but there you go. We are playing about with and changing the, the format. We're doing shorter shows, longer shows, you know, scripted news, non-scripted news, one story, more stories. So tell us what you like, because we don't have a clue, clearly. <laughs> Um, no, well, I'd love to and know. If you'd what... like to know more about reindeer, um, I can, do. I let can us talk know, yeah. about reindeer a lot. <laughs> You're um, going to do reindeer cast, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know, if you if you if you're sitting there going, "Oh my goodness, shut up," T- tell us. You know, do tell us. Don't, don't say shut up. I was going to say. Okay. Well, if you th- if you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, this is lovely," but I'd like more stories in, tell us. Well, um, yeah. What. I tell you, don't tell, tell us. me. Yeah, don't tell you. I can't handle the rejection. No, I, I will read and I will filter yeah. and, and I will pass on what's, what's suitable for Jenny because yeah. she's a delicate little flower. And <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell, she's meek and mild and easily cowed. So, um, <laughs> I <laughs> cannot think of how to reply to that <laughs> on microphone, on a family friendly way. <laughs> Well, at that point then, that's it for, um, sorry, I've introduced Andy. Do you, do you want to say bye-bye? Bye. Sorry, did you want more than that? I, you want closure, apparently? Okay. Um. We normally say. Hi, I, I've been, I've been Jenny Hill. She's been Julie Hill. You've been you. I don't know who you are, but you've been lovely. Dogs and cats are lovely. All animals are lovely. Ask consent in everything. That's as good a sign off as any. Bye. Bye now. (laughs) Dogs are great. Bad dogs, if you can really call them that, are perhaps the greatest of them all. John Grogan. You may remember from a couple of shows ago the story of Charlie the Shih Tzu, who got into difficulty while swimming in a lake, and the dramatic rescue which took place and went on to capture headlines and hearts. Well, since that interview, Jane, who is Charlie's human, and Sheila, who was on holiday with Charlie's rescuer, struck up a friendship which has developed into an initiative to raise money for charity and celebrate our canine companions. I'm talking today to Sheila Cregan and Jane Warner. Hi, both. Hi. Hi. And it's an amazing story we're going to discuss here. So let's let's just jump on in. And sometimes things are meant to be, aren't they? So, Sheila, let's start with you because... You're in Scotland, you're in Dundee, and yet this story finds you in Wales. So tell me, how, why were you in Wales? The story goes, Julie, that I have friends who stay in Swansea, and mm-hmm. one of their sons volunteered at Glamorgan House Family Development Centre um, in Swansea, and it's a charity that helps to build positive relationships between families. Mm. And... Tragically, their son died very suddenly in 2018. Um, So from that point onwards, I thought that I would start fundraising for the charity and donate any money raised in his memory so that Mm. there was a living legacy um, at the charity. 
So in 2019, I brought a whole crowd of choir friends um, from Dundee down to Swansea. Hmm. And we did a 25-mile sponsored walk one weekend along the Gower Coastal Path. Wow. And we raised over £1,000 for the charity. And then in 2020, before lockdown, I had organised a quiz night and that had raised about another £400. And then it came to 2021 and I was racking my brains thinking, gosh, you know, what can we do to, to raise funds this year? And then what happened is I retired in April of this year Mm. and about six weeks later when restrictions were easing in Scotland, I'm a keen hill walker Mm. and up in Ballater in Aberdeenshire, they were holding a walking festival. So as I was driving up north to take part in the, the walking festival, I was approaching a blind bend on a country road and a car came flying round the corner and missed a head-on collision with me by inches. Wow. And I got a terrible fright, but I thought it was okay. And mm-hmm. I continued on to Ballater and I was about a thousand feet up walking towards a place called Heartbreak Ridge mm-hmm. um, with a small group of people when I collapsed with a heart attack. Oh, my goodness. So I was able to walk off the mountain and an ambulance took me to Aberdeen Royal Infirmary and I spent five days in a cardiology ward. Um, And then I was discharged and I came back home to Dundee. And I I was in shock because I am a very fit and active person. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was the last person I would have thought to have had a heart attack. Yeah. And about 10 days later... I got this beautiful bouquet of flowers and chocolates from the staff at Glamorgan House, um, wishing me well and saying that they would be hoping to see me, you know, as soon as I was well enough to go back down to visit. Yeah. So when restrictions eased further in Scotland, I said to my daughter, look, why don't we take a trip down to Swansea and let's, you know, have a holiday and we'll pop in to see the staff at the charity. So that's what we planned to do. And we headed south at the end of June. And it was a beautiful day when we arrived in Swansea. And we had three or four hours to kill before we were able to get into our accommodation at Klein Farm. So I suggested that we go to Penlegar Woods. And my apologies, because I, I can't pronounce it properly. But we arrived at the woods and we decided to go walking round. So it's beautiful there. We went to see the waterfall and we continued on round. And ahead of us, about, I would say, 20 feet ahead of us was a lady who it turned out to be Jane Hmm. with a couple of dogs. And I assumed wrongly that she would be a local person and would know her way around the woods. So we kind of stopped her. I don't think she realised it. We were were following her, hoping that (laughs) she would know her way back to the car park. (laughs) So we kept walking and I was beginning to get a bit tired um, because we'd gone up and down some steps and we came to a lake. And I said to my daughter and her friend that we should maybe have a seat there because there was a bench beside the lake and that would give me a chance to catch my breath. Mm. And we were sitting there and that's 
shortly after Jane appeared with her two dogs. So, Jane, tell us what what happened then with you. I mean, you and your two dogs enter and uh, what happened? Sure. Um, Well, yes, it was a beautiful day and uh, I thought I'd pop up there for the second time. I did realise you were behind me, (laughs) but I just took a a little bit of a a detour, which then put me behind you. So we came up to the lake and Charlie didn't show any interest at all in the water previously. But I think because of the heat, he was excited and he got down there and he was chasing uh, Titch, his sister. And I did comment to Sheila and say, oh, I've never seen him swim before, but he was just sort of paddling in and out of the water. And then he was approached by several ducks and it looked like they were saying, come on, come and play, come and play. So when he went and he just followed the the ducks round and round the lake, he looked like he was having a great time, but he was getting a bit tired. So I started to call him and he was just, there was no stopping him. He was obsessed with the ducks. He he was in there for the day, I think. (laughs) Um, But the ducks led him into some reeds and it soon became apparent that he was getting caught in the reeds because he he was paddling away and not getting anywhere so it's so frightening for you very frightening I mean Mm. I can't swim I've got you know no way of getting in that water to to get in myself I was worried how deep it was I was worried what I was going to do there was Mm. no no safety things to help me or anything so I, I was just sheer panic but very kindly one of Sheila's group jumped into the water we later found out that he couldn't swim either but he wow. paddled across as best he could to, to reach Charlie and um, despite getting tangled himself as well oh, um, right. he managed to to hold Charlie and, and get back across as easily as he could I understand that the water was very cold and a lot deeper than he was expecting oh, so yeah. um, you know it, it really was an amazing thing for a complete stranger to do yeah. Um, when he reached the shore, some very kind people dried uh, Charlie off with their fleeces, and the young man that saved him um, was being comforted by uh, Sheila and um, her daughter. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, anybody's dog is very, very special to them, and obviously, you'd be worried for, for your dog, whoever you were. But Charlie is extra special to you, isn't he? He's extra special. He was gifted to me by my best friend who sadly passed away in Mm. June 2017, around the the same date uh, that we met. So somehow I think it was just meant to be that Charlie was in the water and that from that I was able to build a really good friendship with Sheila and, um, you know, we've now got our heads together to do something for charity, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is. It does seem like fate just needed the two of you to meet, and it, you know, used Charlie to get you together. And and it is amazing, and I'm, and I'm so glad you did meet because so much good has come out of this. And and different personalities in the same situation, it wouldn't have happened, would it? But it is amazing. So now your project is to you're you're making a calendar, aren't you? Yeah, um, like I said. Because I was down there to to visit the staff at Glamorgan House um, and just to thank them for their kindness, you know, for the flowers and yes. the chocolates, um, it, it just seemed the, the obvious thing to do in such exceptional circumstances to hook up with Jane. And we talked about, well, why don't we 
um, put together a calendar, a doggy calendar for 2022. Mm -hmm. And um, for people who love dogs, you know, it would be an opportunity to buy a doggy calendar, but also um, to donate the the profits from that to Glamorgan House uh, to continue to support the invaluable work that they do with families, Um, not just in Swansea, but actually throughout the whole of Wales and indeed um, the rest of the UK. Yeah, yeah, they sound amazing and, and it's a well worth well worth supporting their, their work, as you say. So if you're a doggy person, this is going to be a calendar that you will love. And as you say, you're supporting a wonderful cause if you um, if you buy one. So what are you looking for people to do? Where can they find out more? We set up a Facebook group, mm-hmm. which is called Canine Capers charity calendar 2022 and on there you can contact us and um, Sheila will explain what to do next. So basically uh, if you go on the Facebook page um, you know you can join the, the Facebook group and if you either direct message me or email me my I think my email address is on the Facebook page I can then send you information about how to make payment for the calendar and because we're doing this off our own backs, um, I have a local printer in Dundee mm-hmm. who will print the calendar. What Jane and I thought it'd be fun to do is if people join the Facebook page, if they would like their dog to be considered to be the front page of the calendar, then you know if they make an advanced purchase of the calendar, then they will be entered into the competition, as it were, for the admins to choose the dog that will appear on the front page of the calendar. We're hoping to get 100 advanced sales by the 30th of September, and that will give us plenty of time then to get the calendars printed and posted out to everybody, you know, if they want to you know, give them as Christmas gifts, you know, maybe the secret Santa in the office um, or as a gift for family and friends. Yes, lovely. And I mean, it's such a lovely story behind it that if you did get it for as a gift or for yourself, every time you look at that calendar, you can think about all the all the love and compassion that has gone into the production of that, you know, right from the beginning, the reason even why you were there in the area, right through to Charlie and the rescue and, and all the love that's gone into trying to raise money for the charity. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very positive story. So every time you look at that calendar, that's what you'll see. Hopefully that's what you'll feel, isn't it? I do believe that we've chosen 12 superb photos of dogs and their capers because let's 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 put it this way it was a bit of a caper that charlie got into that day so (laughs) i I think that's why we've got the idea together we've got some wonderful photos already that have been entered of you know dogs licking ice creams there's some photos of dogs with santa hats on so we've got a christmas theme going on (laughs) so you know people are being really quite innovative with the the photos that they're sending in and as you say, you know, I, I'm very passionate about the charity because it is, it's is—it's about helping children um, and keeping children connected with, you know, parents that they're separated from, you know, grandparents, extend, extended family. And, you know, family is everything. So that's yes. why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. And for our, our youngsters, they do need that secure base to build a life from don't they and I think that's so important to support that that they do you know things happen in life 
we can't be altered you know physically with the people that we love all the time but as you say to have that that backup and that security in a child's life is invaluable isn't it yeah and what the charity does is it gives the children and the parents a safe space where they can come and spend quality time together. Um, yeah. And like I say, you just can't put a price on that. So anything that I can do to help the charity, I will. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So I think that's, we've said, you know, everything people need to know, you know, and told the story beautifully. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about either the calendar or, or events or anything? I think what we plan to do once we hopefully receive the 100 sales is obviously put the calendar together and then at some point Sheila's going to come down so we can give the money to the cause together. You know, I've not been in Swansea that long, so it'll be nice for me to go along and meet them as well and see if I can help them in any way in the future. Yes, yeah. I mean, it was it was fluke that you were both there that day, wasn't it? It, was, it really was meant to be. Yeah. It it really is amazing because, you know, Jane hadn't long moved to the area, you know, so it was almost a fluke that she was there as well. And yes, you know, I I would love, you know, for us to achieve our target because I've actually, I'm purchasing calendars myself um, because I would love to, you know, gift one to Glamorgan House to actually go back down there and take Jane with me, you know, and we could, you know, donate the money that has been fundraised. And like I say, doing it in memory of my friend's son, it would just be so special. It's a very special story in so many ways. So much positivity, so much love and compassion. A real antidote to the negative news we see so much of. We have a link to the Canine Capers Charity Calendar 2022 Facebook page and to Glamorgan House's website on the Dogcast Radio site. I'm going to buy a calendar and I'm looking forward to it making me smile every day next year. And on that note, I shall leave you with a smile. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121 2880922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What is a Great Dane owner's favourite song? I like big mutts and I cannot lie. (laughs)